on today's podcast, Tape 15, Fifth Dimension by The Birds, and, and the music plays on by Del Shannon. Trust the Wizards present Robert Pollard's Guide to the Late 60s. Before going on tour with his band, Guided by Voices, in 2001, Robert Pollard recorded his favourite records onto 62 double-sided cassettes. Music from 1966 to 1971, from the best-known bands of the era to obscure, unheard-of psychedelic curios. The Wizards are on a mission to listen to and explore every groove. Kicker and Chorizo invite you to turn off your mind, relax and float downstream as you listen to Robert Pollard's guide to the late 60s. So first up today we're going to take flight with the birds again. It's the third birds album that we've talked about on the podcast. Last time around we talked about the notorious Bird Brothers and Younger Than Yesterday. And today we're talking about the album that preceded those two. It's called Fifth Dimension or 5D. It was recorded in early 1966 between January and May at Columbia Studios in Hollywood, Los Angeles. Uh, And it was released in July 1966. So it kind of was released in between Pet Sounds, which came out in May, and Revolver that came out in August of that Mm. year. Uh, The Birds lineup. Um, as we discussed last time, Gene Clark had, had recently left the band, although he is appearing here a little bit on backing vocals on Eight Miles High. Uh, but the band at this point are Jim McGuinn on lead guitar and vocals, David Crosby on rhythm guitar and vocals, Chris Hillman on bass guitar and vocals, and Michael Clark on drums and pops up on harmonica on one of the songs as well. Uh, there's a little bit of... Uh, um, string section, which is arranged by the producer of the record, who's called Alan Stanton. Our old pal Van Dyke Parks crops up again, <laughs> playing organ yeah. on the title track of the album. It was uh, 1966 was almost like a bit of a downturn in fortunes commercially for the Birds. They'd had two US number one hit singles in 1965, Mr. Tambourine Man and Turn Turn Turn, and relative to the number one success of those, the singles from this album made numbers 14, 44 and 36. And the album sold quite a lot less than the previous two, both here and in the USA, and was kind of considered at the time to be a flop. But mm. on the last episode of our podcast, we discussed, as, as we mentioned before, the Two Birds albums that came after this one. And we said that those two albums, we, we thought, were pretty much amongst the best ones they made. So, uh, Kicker, you, you think in this one in, in the same kind of vein? Well, uh, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, you said Gene Clark had left, and of course, on the first two albums, Gene Clark was, you'd have to say, the main songwriter. So uh, for this album, they've lost their two main songwriters in, in Gene Clark and Bob Dylan. Yeah. Because um, yeah. there are no Dylan covers on it either. No. Um, uh, I don't like it as much as the other two, I don't think. Um, but it definitely has its moments. Um, yeah. I think it's it's talked about as, a, as, as being perhaps more influential than than great right uh, and i can see that i mean there's, there's i mean it is that that sound isn't it it's a very it's the archetypal birdsy sound with the jangling guitars and all that yes um yeah but yeah no it's it's uh I, I think i probably like it more than the previous two but not as much as the two that we've we've talked about previously right yeah so there's a they're kind of on a on a arc of improvement here the graph is yeah i would say so. upwards uh whilst the sales may not be 
yeah. Do you agree with that? I mean, is that is that how yeah, you see I think it? I, yeah, I would go along with that. And it, yeah, the, the the first two albums, Gene Clark, Bob Dylan, and sort of covers generally were were the the main songwriters, weren't they? Uh, yeah. There's a few still here. There's still a few traditional folk songs. I think there's two or three of those, isn't there? Um, well, there's four covers on it, if you count the two traditional folk songs. It's four covers yeah. and and an instrumental. Yes. Uh, had they done an instrumental before? I don't know that they had. No, and and the instrumental, uh, it's called Captain Soul, was basically they were, they were having a little run-through of um, the Lee Dorsey song, Get Out My Life Woman, which had just recently been a hit, and they were kind of running through that in the studio. And you, you can tell, once you know that, you can say, OK, well, that's basically an instrumental version of that with a bit of harmonica on top. Well, the harmonica makes it, though. Is, yeah. and, and who did you say was playing that? That's uh, Michael Clark, the drummer. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good, that one. It's, it, ro- it, it sort of rocks a bit. It's got a bit of a groove to it, hasn't it, that, that one? Yeah. Should we talk yeah. about the other, the other um, covers first of all, then? So, OK. Th- so we've got... Um, uh, Near the end of the album, you've got John Riley, which mm-hmm. is uh, a traditional song. Uh, basically, Scottish give, folk song. Uh, yeah, I'll give you the, uh, the a summary of the story there. Basically, you've got the, this lady outside. She's doing a spot of gardening. Fair young maid all in her garden is the opening line. And, uh, you know, a chap comes past on a horse, uh, mm. an eligible young chap, and says, um, do you want to get married? And she goes... Uh, Nah, not really. I'm I'm already engaged to this other bloke who, and he went off to war uh, mm. seven years ago. And then the mm. horse horse fella says, "Well, yeah, 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 but he he could be dead by now. He's probably gone off and married someone else, and uh, so you should marry me." And well, if he has married someone else, she says, "Then I wish them nothing but good luck." And anyway, mm. I'm still not I'm still not getting married to you because I'm staying yeah. faithful to him, just in yeah. case. At which point, the horseman says, "Ah ha 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 ha." It was me well, that sounds along. like his horse, to be honest. It was, yeah, it was me all along. I yeah. am John Riley of the yeah. uh, of the song title. Well done, you passed the test. It yeah. was uh, kisses one, two, and three, yeah. and a happy ending for all concerned. Well, I, I I think he shows himself to be a bit of a twat. Yeah, frankly. I, think, I think it's it's a bit of un, unnecessary that, isn't it? I mean, you know, he's been away for seven years, and that's just say decides, hello, man. That's say hello. How he decides to reintroduce himself. And um, clearly he's, he's changed a lot in seven years. She doesn't recognise him. Well, it, that's the thing. And it's, it's, she's so devoted to him, she can't even remember what he looks like. <laughs> and maybe he's got a beard or something like that. Well, um, you don't want one of them. But it's, it's the, the harmonies, as as always with the birds, the harmonies are great. The string mm. arrangement's very nice, but I wouldn't say it's a, a standout song in, in the birds' career, really. But it's, it's perfectly perfectly OK. Oh, well, yeah, I... I think you're right, and, and it's it's not a standout song. I think it's a it's a very pleasant song. I, I prefer it to the other um, traditional song, which is the Wild Mountain Time, which is the second track. Right. And that's that's the one that's definitely Scottish, isn't it? Because I, I initially Scottish. thought it I thought it was about a dog, but apparently not. A dog. Yeah. Well, it's, there's lots of lots of mentions of Lassie, um, but it turns out that it's that that's not the dog. That yeah, it's definitely a Scottish song, uh, and it's yeah. a song that's been done by. Loads and loads of different people. Yeah. Um, well, that, yeah. yeah, you're not a fan? No, not really. I like I'm not a fan of the song generally, but I do love this version. And I was up in Scotland on holiday about 10 years ago and in a pub okay. somewhere near um, Galashiel, somewhere that round that way. I was oh, in a pub yeah. and the folk band were playing uh, and they were very competent, but I didn't really like 
the music they were playing. And then they did Wild Mountain Time with the mm. harmonies, just like the Birds version. And it was mm. it was really, 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 really good. Um, mm. So I've had a bit of a soft spot for, for, for the Birds version ever since then. Uh, and then the other, the other song that's um, not a bird song is I Come and Stand at Every Door, which is, again, a song that's been done by quite a few people. I, I bit know, grim, isn't it? Bit grim. Yes. Uh, it, I know this song from This Mortal Coil's third album, uh, which and I really, really, really love the version on there. Mm. Uh, the Fall do a version of it, but um, much like the album it comes from, uh, Levitate, it's not very good. Um, <laughs> the Birds album is very good too, uh, and the harmonies that come in in the final verse, but it's all about the lyrics, that one really, isn't it? It's, but it's a poem, isn't it? It's a, it's, poem. Uh, it's a Nazim Hikmat poem. Yes, and he's a Turkish poet who was banned in, in Turkey and imprisoned for his political beliefs. And mm. ended up in, uh, he was basically a, a socialist. Uh, kind of frowned upon in in, uh, mid 20th century Turkey Um, and and it's a it's a sort of anti-war song really isn't it no it definitely is it's about Hiroshima isn't it the after I I mean it's a bit dull am I allowed to say dull here it doesn't do anything for me but it is the better of the two cover versions because they also do a cover version of Hey Joe which frankly is probably the worst cover version of Hey Joe yeah well I I like um, I like I come and stand at every door because of the atmosphere mm. it creates and 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 I think the words are brilliant um, uh, as an anti-war song and it's it's very powerful it's, it, mm. you know and, and emotive. Uh, hey Joe, yeah, I don't. I mean, who else has done it? Jimi Hendrix, Love, uh, The Leaves, right? Don't know. Patty Smith. Uh, I I I don't really like any of the versions of that song. Mm. No. Have you heard I mean, Billy Roberts' original? No, mm. no, but I mean, I, don't, I mean, the, the the only good bit about the Jimi Hendrix um, version is the instrumental bits when he's when he goes does the guitar solo. Uh, mm. I, I, but he could play it, that lad, couldn't he? It, 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 yeah, it's a good chord sequence. I like the chords, but I've always mm. thought the lyrics were a bit stupid. And and Joe is at best a man of dubious moral character. I think. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Joe is supposed to be quite menacing, and I think that's the problem is that. Um, David Crosby, who sings this, does yeah. not sound menacing in the slightest. Well, even in the Hendrix version, it's kind of it's kind of like it's all a bit too casual. It's like mm. you know, hey, 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 Joe, you know, I heard you shot your woman. How's it going? You know, it's like it's like oh, I heard I heard you've um, I heard you've got a new car. It's like it's very casual, you know. Um, going down to yeah. Mexico, are we? Oh, okay, fair enough. No, I think it's well. A interesting, song. interestingly, um, <laughs> David Crosby latterly, or I don't know how late actually, but later on, admitted that his recording this song was, and I quote, a mistake. So you know, who are we to argue with? Right, that fine gentleman. Right. Uh, well, he, he, I know that he he had been after the the rest of the birds, telling them for years that they should record this song, yeah. and eventually got his way. It, I, don't, I don't like the song, and I don't like this version. Um, it's the worst worst thing on this album for me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly the most skippable song on the album. Yeah, I've got no intention of listening to that ever again. Um, <laughs> although I, w- I also would say the same of the last track, um, the Learjet song, which is uh, just oh, yeah. a, it's just a, a, a very repetitive "Go ride the Learjet, baby, go ride the Learjet," just repeated <laughs> over and over and over again. It's good with, riff with some noises of 
planes and ah, um, I quite like that one. It's, it's, I think the riff's really good. I like, and I like the repeti- repetition, the, the the repetitive nature of it. Um, interestingly, I, I didn't realise until I was doing a little bit of research for this podcast that uh, the song is t- is called Two Four Two Foxtrot, the Learjet song. Yeah. Uh, are you aware of why it's called Two Four Two Foxtrot? Is that some kind of um, you know Foxtrot Foxtrot Oscar kind of thing? It, well, it is to do with that, yeah. Apparently, I, I don't know who in the band, but one, at least one of the band was mates with uh, with John Lear, him of the Lear Jet. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and it is actually the sound of a Lear Jet on it. Um, but uh, John Lear had his own Lear Jet with a personalised, I don't know, is it, is it a number or number? Registration? I don't know. Anyway, but it, the registration of that is N two four two FT. Ah, right. So there you go. Shouldn't that be Foxtrot yeah. Tango then? FT. Fox, I mean, Foxtrot is just F, isn't it? In that, in that alphabet. Yeah, and they've missed off the N. What's what's N? Um, M. N. See, this is why we need this alphabet, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> N. Uh, is it Nigel? I'm not it's sure. It's Nigel. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, um, anyway, they, they don't they don't mention the N either. No, but, uh, well, I think I think it's a throwaway song, isn't it? But I quite like it as a closer. Yeah, I think it's a bit. It's it's just a bit uninteresting, really. Doesn't doesn't do mm-hmm. much for me. So so yeah. far we're, we're we're dissing this album. Anything good on it? Yeah, there's lots good on it. Yeah, there's <laughs> lots good on it. I, like I say, I, I really like I come and stand at every door, and I really like John um, uh, Riley. Time. Um, oh, right. and I quite like John Riley. But but yeah, the the, the rest of uh, the songs uh, near the start of the album. Uh, obviously, the title track I think is brilliant. I did mention when we did our last podcast, I said that a couple of the songs would be in my top five bird songs, and and Fifth Dimension would also be in my all time top five bird songs. I absolutely love it, love that song. Mm. Um, it, McGuinn uh, claims it's inspired by Einstein and and learning about you know different dimensions and Einstein's theory of relativity. Can you can you for the for the listener, not for me obviously because clearly I know, but uh, for the listener, can you clarify what the five dimensions are? Well, uh, they're they're theoretical dimensions, the three dimensionals that our universe exists in. Well, there are four dimensions that are definitely there. Well, no, no, there's three three dimensions that our our universe exists in. And then the the others. I think that they're up to about ten or eleven now. Uh, oh, really? Physics, physics, physics. Oh, I've, I've, I've not been keeping track um, of this. Well, the, a lot of people think that the fourth dimension is time, but yes, apparently that so. explanation is quite confusing. But mm. but um, it, it, in in the in our three dimensional plane, if you hold God, up I wish I'd like a, a I don't know a three dimensional object like a box in front of a light source, then the shadow on the wall will be two-dimensional won't it yes correct so a rectangular box will appear height and width uh, no a cuboid box will will appear um rectangular on Mm. uh on a a shadow well in a four-dimensional world the shadows would be three-dimensional that's that's yeah so obviously that's not possible for us to perceive Mm. So um, we have to just kind of imagine it. It gets a bit confusing, doesn't it, when it's all things that you can't actually observe. I mean, say what you like, but Einstein, confusing fella, really. Yes, yes. And, and, and these other dimensions, these theoretical dimensions, apparently if they exist, some of them are so tiny. They, they're only, you know, it's, it's something to do with string theory. I don't know. 
to be honest with you, the mm. the whole song doesn't sound like it's about physics and dimensions at all. It sounds to me like he's doing acid. <laughs> but he denies that. He does, Just like yeah. on 8 Miles High. That's not about drugs either. No. It's no, just, no. It's just they happen to write it on a plane. Well, yeah. which wasn't Eight Miles High, because uh, the, 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 that's the, that's a, a misnomer, isn't it? Or, or, or people say that Eight Miles High because that's the the cruising altitude of uh, commercial aircraft. But I, I, for the benefit of the podcast, look that up, and it's not actually six six miles is is the cruising altitude for commercial aircraft. So I'm yeah. sorry that that just falls apart right there. And I saw uh, uh, an interview uh, on YouTube where a guy ca- calling himself the Professor of Rock. Uh, and he, he has a YouTube channel oh. and he interviewed David Crosby and Roger McGuinn about that song. Mm. And mm. Roger McGuinn said, yes, that they were on a plane and uh, him and Gene Clark were talking about writing a song about being on a plane. They were on their way back from their first ever UK tour. Mm. And they, 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 yeah, they thought they were about five or six miles up. But because mm. Beatles had eight days a week out at the time and they liked it, so they just took the eight from there, put it at the start of eight miles up. Apparently, when radio DJs picked up on the fact that that was a factual error and that it wasn't possible for commercial aircraft to fly at eight miles, and that's when they realised, maybe it's not about an aeroplane. <laughs> well, what I can say is it's a, it's a great song, Eight Miles High. That's, is, that's yeah. my favourite on this, a brilliant song. And uh, I love the, love the guitar on that. I mean, it's an amazing guitar. So. And... and uh, it's it's one of two songs actually that seemingly show um, a John Coltrane influence or betray a John Coltrane influence. And I I went and listened to John Coltrane's Impressions album. Are you aware of this? Uh, well, I'm aware of uh, McGuinn trying to pl- basically imitate John Coltrane's uh, music on the guitar. With that, with mm. that well, sort of very fast. The Impressions LP has got only got four tracks, in, but the opening track is called India. Right, and if you go and listen to the just the first bit of that, you'll go ah ah yes. I saw in that YouTube video he says that the da 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 that bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. He said that that came from a John Coltrane song, and also that he was listening to a lot of Ravi Shankar um, nice. music at the time as well. Right. Um, yeah. yeah it, it, I mean, I have to say, Eight Miles High, I prefer to to uh, India by John Coltrane. Yeah, uh, I can't say I've heard that, but I've heard I've heard you know Love Supreme, which is his famous. That's one. good. It's all right, you know. If I'm not, it's not really my kind of thing. But uh, you said there was two songs, so was, I see you. Was it the the guitar lines on there? Because that sounds also like he's doing the same kind of thing. Exactly. Yes, that's yeah. right. The rest, of, which is pretty much the only thing I, I liked really about I See You. I, I felt oh, like I like that one. A, uh, not that interesting, but. Um, the guitar lines are fantastic. The, the, yeah. There's so many songs on this album where uh, Roger McGuinn's lead guitar lines are just um, incredible. The best thing on it, mm. really. And, yeah, and, and a bit a bit less of that sort of picking, arpeggiated, chiming stuff that's more on the early records. And now he's starting to yeah. do, well, he is, as you say, influenced by uh, the, 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 the jazz and the, uh, the Ravi Shankar stuff. You can really hear it. And yeah. it's... Um, it's brilliant. Really. It, it is, and I, and I say that I totally agree with with you that 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 makes this album more interesting than than what's gone before it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, actually, I think you said on the on the last time we were talking about the birds that uh, one of your favourite songs is Mr. Spaceman, and we haven't mentioned that yet. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, I, I do love that song. I, I think it's it's 
just makes me smile. It's a little country yeah. pop song, and it, it, again, lovely um, trebly Rickenbacker guitar solo on it. But also the the words just make me make me laugh. The fact that the, you you get these aliens coming down with their little green footprints that glow in the dark, and, <laughs> and, and I just like the chorus where he says. He wants to basically go along on the spaceship and says, hey, Mr. Spaceman, won't you please take me along? And then the next line, I won't do anything wrong. <laughs> Which, as if that's the only thing that... Uh, that would be the main concern of any green that he's going to get on their spaceship and start doing stuff wrong. Uh, it's always made me laugh. But it's just a, a cool little pop song, isn't it? It is, yeah. And now, I mean, I think it's, it's, it tells you where they're going as well, doesn't it, going next in terms of the country influence there it's, yeah. it's country rock country rock sci-fi which is it's quite a limited genre <laughs> yeah, I don't birds, know who else is in that the birds revisited it a few more times didn't they on yeah. the other <laughs> albums that we we talked about yeah, yeah really the only other song on the album that I particularly like uh, that we haven't really discussed is is um, the uh, what's the one after I see you what's happening what's happening, what's happening? Uh, mm. again it's lyrically it's not that interesting um, mm. it's Crosby's first full writing credit on a on a Birds album, and there's not many lyrics in it. Um, lots of questions. There's lots of questions, and and there's lots of stuff that he doesn't know, isn't it? It's basically every, yeah. almost every line starts with "I don't know" or "I don't have the I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. I don't have the vaguest notion." He says at one <laughs> point, um, uh, but he's laughing about it. He says in the last yeah. line, "I quite like that. I quite like yeah. that." That. Um, Again, they were doing LSD by this point, and I, I wonder if there's if there's part of that is like I don't know what's going on, I don't know what's happening, but I'm just <laughs> going with it. Um, which is the guitar's great on it, actually. It I, is. I love the guitar. Yeah, because it's it's got the 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 Crosby, presumably Crosby's rhythm guitar is kind of almost again it's got a groove to it. It's almost like uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival style chugging along. You know, and then and then after each after each sung line, there's a really good McGuinn lead guitar part. So yeah, yeah I like like that one a lot. Yeah. So shall we? I mean, we've we've kind of talked about all all the songs. I, I, yeah. I, in terms of the three three birds albums, are you that we've talked about? Then you're, you're going to put that third, though, are you? This one. I am. Yeah, it's definitely mm. more patchy than the other two that we mm. talked about. Uh, my favourite songs on it, definitely Fifth Dimension, definitely Mr. Spaceman. I also really like What's Happening, that we were just talking about. Uh, I Come and Stand at Every Door, Wild Mountain Time, and of course Eight Miles High, and John Riley. Uh, but I gave both the other Birds albums eight. I very nearly gave one of them eight and a half. I, this one isn't as good, so I'm giving yeah. it a seven. Okay, so, fair enough. Well, I, I can't remember what I gave the other Birds albums, but I don't like this one as much. So I might have to revise this if we, if I ever listen back and find out what I gave those other albums. But I, I, I'm giving this one a six. Um, I, I do like, well, Eight Miles High is fantastic. And uh, I really like I See You and Mr. Spaceman uh, as well. But I really don't like Hey Joe. I think that's it's dreadful. And there's quite a, a few songs which are a bit dull for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm only going to give it a six, I'm afraid. Um, but the, the, the standouts are still standouts. Yeah. Um, by the way, I've, I've got the album here, which I'll show you, a vinyl copy here, look. Excellent. Yeah. This is, uh, if you look at the back of it, it's a bit battered. It's, uh, it's an original, this. So it's a 1966 release. So that makes it the best part of 45 years, 46 years old. 50, Plays 56. Is that as is many yeah, long yeah. as that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no idea what year we're in. 
yeah. I just don't know. I haven't got an inkling. Um, but it's uh, it's great. It plays really well. Anyway, I looked it up to see how much it was worth. What do you reckon? What do you reckon people are paying for this? Is it mint condition, would you say? I would say that the, the vinyl is, is near mint and the cover is probably very good. I don't think it's worth that much. I think it's worth 30 quid. Well, it seems to be selling for about 80 quid. Ah, okay. Well, I don't know. I, I can't remember. I, I think I bought it in Sheffield when I was at university, and so I probably didn't spend more than about ten quid on it. Eight, eight to ten quid, I'd have thought, probably yeah. in those days. I bought, like uh, in the in the late nineteen nineties when they bought out the sort of remastered version on CD. I bought that uh, along with uh, a couple of other birds' albums, and it was about a fiver. Mm. Yeah, probably yeah. even less now on CD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so mine's mine's what you would call an investment, and yours is just frittered away. <laughs> um, by the way, I, should, I didn't realise this. Was the stupid thing. The, the, the thing about this album cover, by the way, we're looking at it. It's that uh, the birds logo with the uh, the colourful coloured yeah. inputs. Yeah, and this is the first time this appeared, wasn't it? And, but that, I think that's brilliant. I think that, whoever designed that. Yeah, there was a box that's set. Uh, there was a birds box set that came out in the eighties late 80s, uh, I think that was might have been called Eight Miles High or something like that, which had that, mm. it was just had that logo on the front. Uh, yeah, very good. It's, it's, it's yeah. classic, isn't it? It's a classic. Yeah. Um, All right, well, shall we shall we move on to talk about a second album then? Yeah. So, uh, and we were on to One that wasn't Sound. released, really. Sorry? One that wasn't released. That's right. You t- well, why, why not? Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Well, um, so we're going to talk about Del Shannon's uh, album and the music plays on. Um, which I've got on CD, you'll be glad to know, somewhere. Uh, it's actually a, a, a split CD with uh, Del Shannon live in England, which is a great live album. Right. And um, that's him playing in Manchester, which is which is really, really good. Uh, so it's a split split CD. Um, I think you can get it on vinyl, but uh, you couldn't get it on vinyl in 1967, which is when this, this came out. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, of the background. So in 1967, uh, Del Shannon was in the, the studio with... Rolling Stones producer Andrew Lug Oldham. Um, and uh, although the, the songs lyrically uh, and perhaps even vocally sounded like Del Shannon, the, the backing didn't because it was it was they were, didn't have any of those ringing guitars and the, the heavy treble echoey stuff and the, and all that. It was all strings and horns, um, a bit Phil Spectory. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. Anyway, the the album was being recorded, and it was going to be called Home and Away, um, but it wasn't released at all, and I couldn't find out why. I think maybe may, maybe there were complications because of uh, copyright. I I don't know. Anyway, um, eleven songs were recorded and produced by Andrew Lou Golden, um, and. Some of them appeared as singles uh, during 67, 68. So, for example, uh, Mind Over Matter, Led Along, He Cheated, which was a B-side, Silently, which was a B-side, Cover of Raindrops, and a new version of Runaway. They all came out as singles, but nothing came out as, a, as an album. Um, although the, the recording, you'd have thought, would have been really popular because it featured lots of interesting people, P.P. Arnold's on it, Madeline Bell, Paul Jones, Nicky Hopkins, all on backing vocals on it. So there's a, there's a lot going on, yeah. um, but it, it didn't actually come out as an album until 1978. 
And at that at that point, um, two further songs had been added to the the list. So some of them have been been released as singles, as I say, but but two new ones uh, were recorded and produced. So there was, there was uh, "Leaving You Behind," which Del Shannon produced himself, was added to the this bunch of songs, uh, and Dave Edmonds came in um, and produced the title track. Um, and, and the music plays on, which I think he did in 1974. So, so then you've got this this album, uh, Outworth Material, came out in 1978, um, and it doesn't really sound like Del Shannon apart from Del Shannon's voice. Hmm. Um, but I think it's pretty good. Um, it's uh, it's a bit Phil Spectre without the handguns, I would say. But uh, <laughs> what, what do you make of it? Well, you're right. It, it doesn't sound like what I thought it was going to sound like, um, apart from Del Shannon's vocals, which are amazing all yeah. throughout. And yeah. exactly, I've also written down Phil Spector because it's literally, they've thrown in everything, haven't they? Every instrument, including yeah. the kitchen sink, is in there <laughs> on quite a lot of the songs. That's but right. the, but the, the songs themselves uh, are great. In, mo- in most cases, in most cases, not all. Uh, the production's really good. I quite like that 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 um it's very pop and and the playing is really good. I think you mentioned those those musicians who were playing on it. I think uh, the thing I read on in line is that it's it's probably Jimmy Page on guitar and it's probably John Paul Jones on bass because they were sort of session the sort of resident session musicians at Olympic Studios in Barnes at that point. Right. Uh the bass playing is is particularly great. Um but I it's got it's for me, it's got just about the right amount of the sort of California, West Coast, Summer of Love stuff. Mm. Uh, a few touches of a bit of psychedelia, but it also embraces, you know, the the the, the Phil Spector pop sound, the Sonny and Cher, the Motown pop sound. Yeah. Uh, it's got elements of that mixed with that kind of the big London production sound that, you know, people like Ivor Raymond and Johnny France were doing at that time for Dusty Springfield and the Walker Brothers and the and the like. Yeah. And I think no, I mean I think I think you you we're in agreement here about the sound it's only in the, the very limited sleeve notes that we've got here it says that uh, when Dale Shannon came to London early 1967 to begin these sessions with Oldham the producer was ready with every weapon in his arsenal. Now, every weapon in his arsenal. What are you thinking there? Not handguns, so that's good. Good. Yeah. Although, sadly, uh, Del Shannon shot himself, didn't he? In the he end. did, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, he, the, the weapons in his arsenal were harpsichords, chimes, bells, French horns, castanets, huge hollow-sounding spectre-style drums, massed background vocals, and more. Yes, indeed. Well. Wow. Perc- percussion instruments, you name a percussion instrument, and they're yes. all on here. The percussion's good, actually. I, I, yeah. I have to say that that's something that I, I particularly picked out. And, and that on one of my favourite songs is the opening song, which is um, It's My Feeling. Yeah. Which, as you say, the songwriting's really good. Um, this is Andrew, an Andrew Rose song. And I think there are two of those, maybe? No, three of those. Three, on, on yeah. Here. Yeah. So he was in the band twice as much. That's they were having a, having a, a few hits, weren't they, at that time? Well, with another guy called Dave Skinner. And they were okay. on um, Immediate Records, which is the same label that P.P. Arnold and the Small Faces and uh, uh, were on, uh, which was owned by Andrew Lou Golden. That was his label. Right. Uh, and, yeah, they I, I don't know if they had many hits. They they had a minor hit with a cover version of um, the Stones song, Sitting on a Fence, oh, which okay. is pretty decent. Um, 
Anyway, so this is his, this is his song. It's not it's, yeah. it's not a twice as much song, is it? It's just it was written for Del Shannon. Right. I, I think it was written for yeah. The the other song, uh, Life Is But Nothing, which is later on in the album, they they'd recorded that as twice as much as well. But the others, right. I think they just wrote for this. And there's another guy called Billy Nichols who was also an immediate record right. recording That's artist right. who wrote a few songs for this. And he's got an album actually that we're going to look at later on in this series. Oh right, yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's my feeling I really like, and, and I like it more than some of the other ones because of the percussion on it. Is there's a little scrapey thing going on there? I'm a bit of a sucker for that scrapey thing. You mean the um, uh, the guero? The, is that what it is? The fish yeah. shape thing with which you scrape the sides of it with a stick. I'm guessing so, yeah. but it, yeah. there's a bit of that on there. But as you say, that the, the album is dominated by Del Shannon's voice. Um, I reckon though that the, the famous falsetto doesn't come in until about four or five songs in. I don't, there's no falsetto on the early tracks on this album, I don't know. No, it, 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 I, I reckon My Love Has Gone is the first time you hear it. So what's that? That's yeah. track yeah. five. Track and that, five. Uh, which makes it a great song. Yes, right? a, indeed. <laughs> and, and then once once the falsetto comes in, then it, it, yeah, it then you've got quite it. a lot on the rest of the album. Yes. Um, right. But yeah, My Love Has Gone uh, is, is really, really full specter, that one. And, yeah. and it's kind of got got a, a lovely duet harmony vocal where where Del Shannon is kind of, you know, harmonising with himself. Uh, and yeah, like you say, the first appearance of the falsetto. It sounds yeah. like a hit. This is what I find mystifying. Yeah. Why well, there were singles. There were singles. Yeah. So so as I said, let, let, um, th- that wasn't released as a single actually. My love has gone. Uh, but the one after that, which is also got falsetto and it led along. Yeah. The Billy Nichols song. That was a that was a, a single, but I don't think it was a hit. Right, and that that was written by Billy Nichols, wasn't it? It sounds yeah. very Beatlesy, uh, and then it, then it, near the end it's got sort of doo woppy Beach Boysy bar ba 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 ba. Yeah, the bum bum dee 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 bum. Yeah, yeah. Again, it, it, classic. It, you would think that with Andrew Lou Goldman's sort of contacts and presumably good PR that he had at that time, and uh, uh, that yeah, it's it, I've, it's mystifying that some of these songs. Were I'm going to show you why he didn't have a hiss, right? The, the, is that the cover? That, well, that's that's just a. It's on on the cover. It's, it's on the maybe it's on the back of the CD booklet. Right. He's not a good looking fella. Well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, you're talking uh, about Lou Goldham, who who managed the Stones. Not yeah. particularly good looking fellas. They had plenty of hits. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think if you, I think if you've been a good looking fella, he'd have been bigger than all. Uh, that. Is it more? Is it more a sort of perception thing? Is he more kind of? Thought of being right. He's one of the old rockers. I know. Old I know his hits were his early hits were early sixties. But he's maybe maybe the people of the sort of nineteen sixty seven summer of love mm. generation. Maybe they saw him more as a kind of. Oh, he's he's back there with Elvis and Chuck Berry and and Roy Orbison and all those guys and, and consigned yeah. to the past. Yeah. Uh, the irony being of you know of the beat invasion, but you know the Mersey beat boom being that they killed off the careers of all their idols. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, for me, this there's there are two songs that stand out. It's my feeling is is one I really like, but there are, there are two others which I would say I, I, I like more than that on this. Yeah. But the whole album is good. I mean, there's I don't think there are any duds on it. Well, um, no, I mean to, to be honest, I don't really. I, it's interesting you you just said before about that and the music plays on, which was added in later, wasn't recorded as part of these 1967 sessions, because I don't really like that one very much. Oh, don't you? Oh, no. I think that's great. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not too keen on that one. Uh, mm. 
so I'd have thought you'd like that because it's a bit Elvisy, isn't it? Elvis Presley. It's, yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very, it's very dramatic. It's a bit of an mm. epic, but um, no, I didn't didn't really like that one as much. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's loads of others that I really, really liked. Um, what, what before we talk about those? What, what about the the updated version of Runaway? Because yeah. I really like that. Really, and I really like the original. Yeah, I, I, I really like both of them. I think I think it really works. It's got it's got flamenco guitar. It's got hand claps. It's got all the 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 falsetto bits in the right place. Yeah, but what I mean, it, what, but what does it not have compared to the nineteen sixty? Well, it doesn't have the guitar on it, does it? It doesn't have. It also doesn't have the the best bit, which is the keyboard solo. Uh, Max Crook, the co-writer on his Musitron that he built himself. <laughs> that's the best. That is very good. I, uh, uh, personally, I just think, well, why change it? It's it, the, the original is a perfect record. It's like others we've discussed on, on the on the on this podcast, Waterloo Sunset and Paperback Writer and whatever. You know, no matter who covers the songs, even if it's Del Shannon himself, they're never gonna make a better record than the original. I, I No that's I, true. It's I, not I better. Like, it's I don't like the sixty seven version. Oh don't you? Okay. It, it, I, I do like it. it. I mean lacks a lot of the spirit and the and the life the it's okay. If it was probably if it was a brand new song I'd never heard the original of, I'd probably quite like it. But because it's not, you know, D Del Shannon's Runaway, which is, you know, uh, one of the greatest records ever. Um, <laughs> uh, then uh, I, I don't really like it. Um, it uh, well, yeah. Runaway is one of the greatest records ever, but actually Del Shannon's second best song. Hats off to Larry. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, that's the he's one. He's got loads of good songs. That's what annoyed me when when he died, because I remember the coverage being when he died and saying, like, well, what, you know... We found we found out since that that we, part of the reason why he killed himself he was on antidepressants and and his his partner says that you know those particular antidepressants didn't work for him at all and he he really went downhill um, uh, but it was sold at the time as as being well he's just got fed up of singing that one damn song yeah. I think well even then I remember my dad saying well he hasn't got one song he's got he's got loads of good songs yeah. you know yeah. Uh, yeah. that's often how he's it's, it's, it's a sad thing. It is. Well, okay, so tell, tell us which ones you, you particularly like then. Oh, well, quite a lot. Mind Over Matter. I love Mind Over yeah. Matter. I love the, yeah. the strings and there's a great sort of, I don't know if it's a trumpet or a flugelhorn or something, uh, a solo in the middle, but that was really good. Written by a guy called Jeremy Paul Solomons, who was another immediate recording artist, apparently. I oh, really good. like Cut and Come Again. It's a great pop song with... Um, Brilliant melody, uh, and again, great strings. My Lover's Gone, that we've already talked about. Led mm. Along, that we've already talked about. Uh, mm. And the only one I really, 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 really love that we haven't talked about yet is one called Easy To Say, which has got yes. harps accord. Yes. And, and it sounds a bit like, you know, Stevie Wonder was using harps accord around this time. The Four Tops, if I was a carpenter, and Motown were using quite a lot of harps accord. And plus, Beach Boys had a bit of it on there, and The Loving Spoonful... The bass yeah. playing is brilliant, but it's quite fast, and it actually sounds like a Motown song, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Vocals, well, yeah. almost uh, Northern Soul, I would Yeah, say. exactly. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, and again, I think, well, if that was released as a single, that wasn't one of the ones that was released as a single, I guess, was it? No, no. no. Uh, it sounds to me like it doesn't matter what they'd have released as a single, it wasn't going to be a hit <laughs> for, for, for whatever reason. But yeah. you, I just hear that now, and I think that should be... That should be a really well-known song. Yeah, it's a great yeah. song. Yeah, uh, I, I I really like he cheated as well. Do you like that one? Yes, yeah, it's because it it's 
it, I mean, that, the chorus of that is a proper kitchen sink arrangement, isn't it? Really does have everything on it. And the, the, but also the the vocal at the end, where it fades out that song, and yeah. it, but he, he gets more and more emotional. Yes, he does. <laughs> as he yeah. fades out. Yeah, it's very dramatic, isn't it? And it builds, builds up. Yeah, and and it's also got that sort of kind of slightly ghostly backing vocals yeah. as well. Yeah. Lock and spill. Yeah, there's another there's another one I, I really really liked. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is, the cover of Raindrops, uh, which is a D Clark song. Uh, which is a good song, I think. Anyway, I I think there is a little bit of twangy guitar on this. Yes, uh, and if it is Jimmy Page playing on it, mm. uh, then Jimmy Page famously played on those uh, late sixties Van Morrison solo records, um, like "Baby Please Don't Go" and "Here Comes the Night," and he and he's recycled the riff. Ding 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 ding. Is that he's doing that yeah. again? Uh, yeah, yeah. So either he used it. I don't know which came first, raindrops or here comes the night. But yeah, very good song. Nice, yeah. nice use of the vibra slap on on that as well. The what? The vibra slap. It's a percussion instrument that's got a sort of ball on a spring and a sort of wooden horn type thing, and you hit it once and it vibrates. It's on that song. You don't hear much oh. of that in pop music, but. Uh, well, yeah. I, I wonder what that was because I, I had it down as that, some, something that looks a bit like um, an abacus, but one one yeah. lined abacus thing. But I, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, with a ball at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. That's that that that, make, that raises it above the ordinary. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think there's some nice horns on "Friendly with You" as well. That's that's quite good, and there's the that's got a good, funny little chorusy bit. Um, uh, but friendly for you is a terrible euphemism, isn't it? I want to get friendly with you. I mean, I'm... yeah, um, it, it, it's it's the harpsichord again, isn't it, on that one? And, and then, oh, is there, okay. I quite like the, um, the the sort of chorus, which is in three four, and, and it's got more Beach Boys, blah blah blah. Yeah, and the verses reminds me of sort of a Stones song, you know, like ballads by the Stones from that period, of Ruby Tuesday or. As tears go by, or that or playing with fire, it it sounds a bit like that. It's got that minor key kind of progression, a bit like um, Graham Goldman's some some of Graham Goldman's songs that we listen to as well. Yes, that's that right. So of, I mean, it could it could be Walker Brothers type stuff as well, couldn't it? I mean, it's yeah, like that sort of sound. Um, okay, well, how did you rate it? Shall I, shall I tell you that you how I rate it? it? You go first. Well, as I said, there's there's nothing that I don't I don't like. I mean, there's some which are a little bit ordinary, perhaps, but uh, there are mostly songs that I do like and, and some that I really like. So particularly, uh, I like, really like the, the title track, um, but also uh, Easy to Say is is ace. Um, he Cheated, I really liked. Um, it's my feeling. Even the Runaway 67 version is good. So I'm, I'm going to give it a six and a half because yeah. although I like a lot of the songs, they're not sort of stellar songs. Right. Okay. Well, as I say, I'm mystified why this wasn't released. I think it could have been really popular. Um, and it sounds spot on for 1967. It's packed with great pop tunes. And I, I, I think, it, it, you know, any one of these could have been the hit to get Dell back in the charts. And mm. uh, very pleased to have been introduced to this album because there's some great recordings of some good songs. And I'll definitely, definitely, definitely be, keep listening to some of these. Uh, particular favourites were My Love Has Gone, Easy To Say, uh, Cut And Come Again, uh, also like Mind Over Matter and Led Along. Uh, I, I, I don't 
don't particularly like and the music plays on and I don't like I won't listen again to Runaway 67 because <laughs> the, the 1961 version exists uh, overall I'm giving it seven seven and a half Oh, okay. We're more generous than me. But yeah. you are a more generous person generally than me, so that's, that does make sense, doesn't it? That is true, yes. Well, uh, thank you very much for, for taking us through these two. Uh, we've, we've got a, a, the next tape is, is going to be a different. We're not going to have any birds. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've got some a couple of interesting choices. Remember, we're being led in this by Robert Pollard all the time. And on his yes. 16th cassette, he, had, he paired up Paul Revere and the Raiders' Spirit of 67... Mm-hmm. Which you, you may be familiar with, I'm not sure. No. Okay. And the GTO's permanent damage, which I'm pretty sure you won't have heard. No. Uh, if you remember, at the start of this, we said I said there was about 20 albums out of the 100 and whatever that, that I knew. And we're now about a quarter of the way through the whole list of tapes. But we've done about 80% of the albums that I know. <laughs> I think there's literally only about three or four albums left. Uh, that I know so it's going to be all new to me all new well I I look forward very much to hearing what you make of the GTOs particularly Robert Pollard's Guide to the Late 60s is a Trust the Wizards production you can find out more at pollard60s.com and on Twitter at pollard60s if you liked it then please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts You may also enjoy their other podcast, which you can find at trustthewizards.com. Original music by the Malibu Storks. Kika Revelves and Chorizo Garbanzo are currently appearing in Waiting for Godot at the Mail Theatre in Leeds.